Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. to see everybody. How you guys doing? Good, good. You guys sound awake and I love it. That's exciting. How excitement. Um, <laughs> hey, we've got really cool stuff going on around here. I just wanted to, I just felt like sharing this for just, uh, just a brief moment. I didn't share this first service, but I'll just share it. Um, <clears throat> we're doing a trunk or treat and I know that for some people that's super controversial. Um, you know what's super controversial is eating meat offered to idols. That's actually very controversial. <laughs> Um, it was like one of the one requirements that the church was, uh, that was demanded of Gentiles, that they did not eat meat offered to idols. And yet, um, by, uh, by Romans chapter uh, 14 and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, the Christians are, are eating meat offered to idols, which is idolatry. And, and, yet, and yet Paul explains to them, he says, hey, he says, hey, <clears throat> There are some people that are eating these meats as, as a liberty or a freedom under Christ because they know that these gods are not actually gods. Yeah. They know that there's only one God. And there's other people that are with, with refraining because their conscience says, no, I'm going to refrain. And, and I just want to say, wouldn't it be great if the church of the living God got a hold of that simple concept of allowing people that, that feel the, the conviction to stay away from things to, to be able to do that without anyone judging them or showing them contempt? Yeah. And then people that, that experience the liberty to say, I can do a trunk or treat, and I really don't think we're worshiping Satan, um, <clears throat> for, for them to be able to do that without the judgment of those that... Meat offered to idols. Okay, just... All right. I'm just... Just a little... Just a little... Uh, Guys, I grew up in such a religious environment, like, if, if it smells of a religious attitude, I'm away from it, just so you know. Um, I, I'm all for, like, I'm very consecrated to the Lord, but I'm, I am definitely uh, not interested in religious attitudes. So, <clears throat> all right, that was just what I'm feeling, so I'm, I'm going from the cuff now. I uh, hope, hope you're okay with that. <laughs> well, good. Hey, you know what? Um, you are in for a treat today because uh, if you're a part of this church, we're going to be talking about money. And if you're not part of this church, we're still talking about money. Um, but here's the deal. Um, I'm really not talking just about money. I'm talking about just the Christian view of resources. And it's important because if this church is not your home church, that's great. You still need to know how God views your resources and how you ought to view them. Uh, you don't need to give here if this isn't your home church. You need to be giving somewhere. You need to be contributing into the kingdom of God. 
Um, it's, it's one thing to contribute into uh, physical things. It's another thing to contribute into eternal things. You need to be doing that somewhere, even if this isn't your home church. Um, if you are an unbeliever today, I just want to say you are welcome here. And we love that you're here with us. And uh, you can kick the tires and you can uh, poke holes in things and you can ask questions all day long. We're good at that. Um, but I want to say this. Listen, um, today this discussion on money has nothing to do with you if you're an unbeliever. Uh, but the benefit is you get to hear how Christians view resources. You, you get to hear how, how Christians... Because what's really interesting is that Christianity is the primary driver and the primary cause of the medical, medical uh, revolution that's happened. Like, most of the hospitals in the world uh, were founded by Christian organizations. Most of the universities in the world, Christian organizations, aid organizations, Christian organizations. Because Christians view resources in a very particular way. And because of that, we as a body of Christ, have done amazing things with resources. All right? Thank you. Tweener. Betweener. Um, coming between the services, I was told that's called a tweener. I, I don't think it is, though. I don't think it is. Uh, so here we go. Um, my first job, everybody, you're bracing yourself like, the preacher's going to talk about money. Oh, honey, we came to the wrong church. We came to the wrong service. Simmer down. We don't talk about money very often, okay? Here's the reason why we're talking about it. I'll, I'll give you the context. It's because as a church, we're doing a really big offering on November 14th for all of our church members. And we are um, we're giving towards the expansion of this building so that we can accomplish more in our community. Um, if you notice, like, this big black wall behind you right here, it's, it's all taped off. And that's because... Um, we're currently, that's a dust wall for those of you that don't work in construction. That's a dust wall. And that's so that we can do construction on the other side of that wall without getting all your seats and your purses and your stuff all covered in dust. And um, what's amazing about it is as a church, we've been able to steward our resources and, and live with enough margin and operate off of a budget so we can just pay for, like, doubling our kids' wing. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. But for us to expand, we, we actually want to expand our auditorium uh, going this way through this wall. There's 16,000 square feet on that side of that wall. We want to go that way and add some bathrooms and stuff. And that's going to cost money. And so as a church, we're coming together to make that happen. So that's the context of why we're talking about resources. Because the second week of November, as a church, we're just coming together and we're giving our very best to, to make that happen. Um, so that we can have uh, more impact. I mean... We're building more classrooms because we'll have 50 kids in one classroom, and we need, we need our teachers to keep their brains and keep their minds, right? Like, they're, they're like losing hair trying to, to disciple your children uh, on a Sunday. So we're doing that. And, and then when we expand the auditorium, it it's, has nothing to do with wanting to have a big church. It has everything to do with wanting to steward and be faithful to whatever God has put in our hands. God has given us this beautiful building, and as a church, we want to be faithful to the building. And if that means we can reach uh, two times more families or three times more families and, and see m more, more people reached by the gospel, then we're going to do that. Yeah. We're going to do that. Um, my first job was, I was a newspaper uh, guy. Anybody else, your first job was doing newspapers? 
I, do you guys, believe it or not, the second, second service is an older crowd because you guys, I got some paper boys and paper girls out here. Uh, new, newspaper delivery is like back in the day, it was like an email, but we carried it on, uh, <laughs> we carried it on our feet and we put it in, uh, in people's doors. Like it was just, it was this fun thing you did as a kid, ride a bicycle and like throw, anybody play paper boy on the original Nintendo? Come on. Those are my people right there. And we, <laughs> that was the best game ever. And, and that's what I did as a kid. I loved being a paper boy. I, I grew up in, in Sitka, Alaska, and I was about nine years old when I, has anybody been to Sitka? I got some travelers, some world travelers here. This is great. And, um, and I would go down to the, the like the city center, which is one road, and it's a, like a road and a church. That's the city center. And we'd go down there as kids, and uh, we'd go get the newspapers, and we'd sell them to tourists. They were like 25, it's a small town paper. They are like 25 cents a piece, but we figured out we could sell them to the tourists for two bucks. <laughs> and like, and so, so we were, um, don't judge me, I was nine. And <laughs> like, everyone else was doing it. And... and and uh, so we would do that. And then eventually I got a paper route. And the paper route was amazing. It was like a promotion. It was guaranteed money. Come on, somebody. I saved up my first $212 by the time I was 10 years old. And I, brought, I bought a, a five-speed BMX bike <laughs> from Sears and Roebuck Cadillac. Anybody remember Sears? Like that's, does, anybody, does anybody remember uh, using like the Christmas wish list book? You know what I mean? That was the... Best. The kids are missing out these days. There's nothing like just laying down on that thick carpet, you know what I mean? That thick brown carpet, and you're like circling the things you want in the in the wish book. Mm. But I, I raise, and so as a kid, when I do the paper out, I would um, uh, first thing I would do is I'd go to a True Value store, and I would sell papers to all the clerks at the True Value store. And I didn't tithe right away. What I did is I went straight to the vending machine, and, and I got myself an orange crushed soda and a Starburst. And I would, I would drink orange crush and eat Starburst on the rest of my paper out while listening to Christian rap on my, uh, <laughs> let's go, <laughs> Transformation Crusade. Uh, so uh, DC Talk, like the original DC Talk. Um, and so I, I, my, my parents, they, they did not want me listening to worldly music, and Christian rap was worldly music, and so I, <laughs> I listened to it. I'm getting way off track, but I'm having fun, so that's good. <clears throat> but here's the deal. As a kid doing the paper route thing, um, I was really interested in how much money I was going to get back. So when I got hired on with this paper route, I, I wanted to know, how much money are you going to pay me? I didn't really ask, like, what kind of, like, what kind of, paid time off do I get? Like, I, that wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't thinking about retirement, 401k. I was just thinking about how much money, like, I got bills to, I'm nine years old, I got bills to pay, you know? I got orange crush to buy and Starburst to eat. Like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pay the bills. But, but I think as you get older, you start thinking more about benefits outside of your primary source of income. Like, you start thinking about other things your employer can provide beyond paycheck. Things like, can I get time off? Can I get paid time off? Can I get health insurance? Can I get an employee discount, somebody? Right? My, my wife's all about the employee discount. 
Can, can we get flexible work hours, right? Well, what are the, we call these things, we lump them into one big idea. They're fringe benefits. Fringe benefits. It's benefits your employer provides to you outside of what your normal pay is. I want you to know that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a fringe benefit to living for God. The gospel is the primary thing. Like there are, there are fringe benefits on the side, but the gospel itself, this idea that we serve a God who is absolutely perfect in every way. Everything about him is wonderful and perfect. He has, he has no sin, no error. He is, he is a wonderful God that is always right and perfect. And you and I are imperfect I got, I got a little bit of silence there. Is anybody perfect? If you're perfect, just put your hand so I know who I'm not talking to. Because here's the deal. If you just let me spend 24 hours with you, I promise, an unfiltered 24 hours, I promise, we will discover that you are flawed just like this guy. And this God that is perfect and holy in every way, because he is holy, and perfect, there is a separation between flawed people. We all flawed. There's a separation between us and him. It's not that he's snooty and arrogant and above us. It's just the nature of he's absolutely perfect in every way. And we're imperfect by our very nature. And so to bridge that gap, for him to be in relationship with absolute imperfect people would make him imperfect. There has to be a solution to bridging the gap between a perfect God and imperfect people. And that solution is Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God revealed to humanity. It is, it is God himself saying, I will bridge the gap between my absolute perfection and all of y'all's flawed business. And he reveals himself and he pays a penalty for all the imperfections in our life so that heaven can bridge a gap between perfection and imperfection. So if you came into church today thinking like, in order for me to be a Christian, I've got to get all my stuff in line. I've got to get it all right. No. In order for the bridge to happen, it's all dependent on the finished work of Jesus Christ on a cross. It's a bridge between God's holiness and our flawed humanity. For me, that's just really good news, you guys. Because every time I think I have my stuff together, I realize I don't have my stuff together. But that's the primary benefit of living for God. There are fringe benefits that come from living for God as well. There are fringe things that happen as well. And I just want to say, that if you're in a room today full of, like maybe for you, you, you don't see Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know you're, you're in a room full of people who have found that living for Jesus is the best decision we've ever made. That decided that I'm not going to try to earn my way towards perfection. Instead, what I will do is I will trust in the finished perfection of Jesus Christ alone. 
And it makes life so much better because instead of trying to climb my way up a ladder of being a better person, I can rely on the only one who always does what's right, good, and true. Yeah. Come on. So living for Jesus is, is a life worth living. But there are, there are fringe benefits to living for him. And, and today I want to talk about the way we as Christians view resources because it is a fringe benefit. It says this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, I should be reading this with a straw, a piece of straw and a big old hat. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall reap the field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. It's, it's the Lord commanding people that are farmers that when they gain the reward of all of their efforts, they are to leave the borders of their effort or anything that falls through the cracks on the ground. Anything that falls on the ground, just, just let it sit there. And we're talking about an agricultural society. Do we have any farmers in the house today? There are farmers in this church. Are there any? I don't see any, any gardeners. Okay, so understand that you're doing for free what other people do to get paid. <laughs> right, like, let's just clarify that. <laughs> they lived in an agricultural society, so they didn't get, like, I work today and get a paycheck at the end of the day. Instead, it was... I work all summer long, and in the fall, there's a harvest, and that harvest is one massive paycheck. That was, that's the real economy that's going on here. And it's not limited just to farmers. He's, he's using that analogy because that's the people he's talking to. Today, you, none of you raised your hands as farmers, so I would guess that in this room there are financial professionals and there are sales representatives and there are restaurant servers in the room and there are medical professionals and there are mental health professionals and there are stay-at-home moms and there are construction workers and there are commercial truck drivers and there are educators and there are CEOs all in this room right now and whatever your occupation is, that is your field. That's the thing you do. It's the labor you do to produce resources in your life. It's your way to create a paycheck. And so he's saying, it doesn't matter what size your field is. If you have a small field, if you have a large field, if you have a corn field, or you have uh, a wheat field, all of you, I want you to to make sure you leave the edges of your field unharvested and anything as you're harvesting that falls on the ground, don't bend down and pick it up. Let it stay on the ground. Let it stay there. Does everybody want to be successful? Let me ask this question. Do you want your kids, anybody want your kids to be really successful? That's good. About a third of you raised your hand. The rest of you are all intending to pay for your kids for everything when they're 30 years old. That's great. Anybody want their kids to be successful? <laughs> yes. I want you to know that, that your Lord wants you to be successful, but maybe not for the reasons you think. And I think as Americans, we think he wants us to be successful because he wants us to have big bank accounts. Well, that wouldn't be consistent with what we see in Christianity and the rest of the world at all, would it? 
His idea of success is probably something different than that. But your Bible does say that you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Like, like he doesn't see you as frail, as weak, as run over, or as, as, as behind the, 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 the group. No, he sees you as conquerors. He sees you as successful. The problem is this, is, is we, we experience success in our life, and then we forget where the success came from and why the success happened. What we do is we like to compartmentalize. We say, this is my spiritual life. This is the church I go to on Sunday mornings, right, from 11.15 to 12.30, and anything after that, I'm leaving. And then this is what I do the rest of my life. We compartmentalize. We say, this is my work self. This is my spiritual self. This is the way I talk when I'm on the job, and this is the way I talk when I'm in church. And can can I tell you today that that there really isn't a difference between sacred and secular? That in the kingdom of God, like everything you put your hands to, it's not either spiritual or physical, but everything has eternal importance. No, pastor, you don't know. Like, I just, I dig ditches for a living. There's nothing spiritual about that. There actually is. The scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Another passage says it like this, that you should work as unto the Lord. Which means you may be digging ditches or you may be a phlebotomist, but in the eyes of God, it is a spiritual effort. It's, it's all in the same category. But what we do is we say, like, I just don't feel successful. I don't feel like a successful person. I feel like I, I, my successes are very little. I'm young, whatever it is. They just feel very little. And I want to say, be careful saying that the successes in your life are small. I, I think when you, when you say something like that, God would hear, like, oh, so you don't like success. So, so you're, not, you're not wanting to do better. So somebody right now, they're like, oh, I got it. I figured it out. You are, you are one of these YouTube prosperity preachers. I got it. That's what you're saying. That's what this is really all about. No, not at all. What I'm saying is your Bible says do not despise the days of small things. It implies that God has bigger things for you, but if you're not careful, you'll think the small things are insignificant and don't deserve real value. And I'm just telling somebody today that whatever God starts in your life, even if it's small, his desire is to work through that thing. He works through it. So so what do we do as we become more successful in life? Well, what we do is we... We work really hard when we're young. We get a job, whatever it might be, and maybe you work your way up the corporate ladder. And, and early on, you were, like, praying for that job. You know what I mean? Like, you got out of college, and you knew, like, what your GPA really was. <laughs> you know what I mean? You told mom it was this, but you knew what it really was. And you, like, when you, when you finally got that job, you were just like, thank you, Jesus, for this job. It's amazing. And as you begin to work your way through your career, you... You kind of work your way out of relying on him. 
You know what I mean? Like you, you, you gain some level of success in your career or maybe, you, maybe you, your bank account swells up to a certain point or, or maybe for some today you're like, I don't experience that all right now, but I'm just telling you, don't despise the day of small things. But what happens is when we, when we finally feel stable, we finally feel like I've, I've hit this benchmark in my, in my career or the business I've started. I've hit this benchmark. What happens is if we're not careful, we will we'll forget where the source of it all came from. And we will forget why it all came. It, it says this in the next verse, in Leviticus 19, verse 10. It says, And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. He's saying, if, if you're the kind of person that grows grapes, don't strip every grape off the vine. Don't, don't bend down and pick up every grape that hit the ground. He, he, he actually wants you to leave margin, which, which is so confusing to me because this is inefficient at best. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I would be the person that would go through the, the grapevine, and I'd go back and about like three-second rule on all the grapes on the ground. You know, get all the grapes. No, he's saying no three-second rule. When it hits the ground, let it stay. It's inefficient. Like as a church, like anytime we have papers that misprinted or whatever, Clark's seen this. I'm like, oh, we'll get all the papers and we'll get out the paper cutter and we're like cutting papers and that's going to be scrap paper for the next decade. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to use the other side of that paper that got misprinted, <clears throat> right? But in God's economy, that's not how he wants us to operate. He wants us to operate with an open hand that when something falls out of our hand, we don't go down and pick it up and say, mine, mine, mine. He, he doesn't want us stripping every ounce of productivity out of the vine. What he really wants us doing is allowing margin in our life. Why? Because God can be found in the margin. What do you mean God can be found in the margin? Well, the, the same verse, says, 19 verse 10, it says, you shall leave them. What? The crops on the ground, the resources, allowing flexibility in your resources. What? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. He's saying you should leave enough margin in your life that there are things available in your life for those that are poor financially, people that are physically, literally without, you should have enough margin in your life. No matter how big your resources are or how small your resources are, you should have enough margin in your life that you can be there for them. And then he says, and for the foreigner." One's the person that's poor physically. The other is the person who is not with their family. They're not with their friends. They're alone. It's a different kind of poverty. It's an emotional poverty. It's a spiritual poverty. We've got a whole generation moving here to Idaho. You may look at them and say, you're from California. You've got, you just bought your house cash. You've got resources. But what you don't see is this. They left every friendship and connection they had back in California. And inside, they're just trying to make it through every day because what they thought was a good financial benefit is an impoverishing emotional situation. 
And I'm saying the kingdom of God is built full of people who live with open hands towards God. God, if you want to place something in my hand, good. If you want to let something come out of my hand, good. I'm not going to pick up the things that fall. Like I'm going to, I'm going to allow my life to be a little inefficient so that I can be the kind of person to provide resources to those that need it, to be the kind of person that lives with enough margin that when I see somebody that looks like they have it all together, but they're a foreigner. I'll go to them and I'll comfort them and I'll bring them in. Like what would happen in our valley if the body of Christ, I'm just saying like if the body of Christ understood whether you like it or not, there is an influx of people coming into this valley and you can fold your arms towards them and you can be hostile and you can say, we don't have any more room, go home. Or the body of Christ can be the kind of people that live with margin. They're recognized foreigners are lonely and they're searching for something for their soul. I'm just saying God wants to have a revival of, of purpose in his church, not just people that attend church on a Sunday and think that's the point, because that's not the point. The real point is allow him to leverage your life, give some margin in your life so that you can be the kind of person that speaks a word of encouragement or writes a check or the kind of person that just goes and sits with somebody when they're in the hospital. Imagine what would happen if believers really believed this. Imagine what would happen if the church really started believing that it isn't the pastor's job to share the gospel with all your friends, but you started believing, you know what, it's actually my job to share the gospel with all of my friends. It's my job to live with enough margin in my life to be able to supply needs towards other people. He says, you should, you should be there for these people that are physically poor or people that are emotionally poor. Why? He gives you a good reason. His reason is this. I'm the Lord your God. <laughs> Drop the mic. You should live with margin in your resources and margin in your time, not because it's some fancy new way to live, because I'm the Lord your God. You know what I'm saying? Like with my kids, sometimes that's my answer. Like, dad, why do we have to do this? Because I'm dad. I'm dad. And the Bible tells us that he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Like he's going to supply your needs. He's going to give you everything you need. If That may be that he just provides a place to sleep and a place to work. It may be that. Or it may be that he provides you some margin in your life. He may provide some elbow room financially. No matter how he does it, he's doing it for the purpose not to benefit you, to make you puffed up so that you can increase your standard of living, but so that you can be the kind of person that has enough margin in your life to share the good news of Jesus. It's, I like this analogy. It's like the dad tax, right? Um, Dad tax. It's, when when I go to the store with my kids, my wife will be like, hey, can you cook something for the kids? I'm like, I'm right on it. McDonald's. And um, I tell her I cooked. The truth is, I lie to my wife a lot. The Lord actually convicted me about this a while ago. He's like, you lie to your wife. And I was like, how, in what way doth I liest to my wifest? And 
the Lord was like, you lie to your wife when she asks you how expensive something was, and you tell her about, it was about 60, you tell her about 60% of what it actually was, you know what I'm saying? Like, like how much were those new binoculars? Oh, they were like 20 bucks. Like, <laughs> these old things, I'm like, the, the, the Lord has convicted me. I don't know how, I'm just, sorry. Confession is really bad for the reputation, great for the soul, right? It's, <laughs> but with my kids, I like, I'll take them through the drive-thru and get them all French fries or whatever. And it's great because then I don't have to buy French fries, so I save a little bit of money. We get in the car, start driving down the road, and it's just like, dad tax. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Dad tax. Dad tax means this. I'm not going to take all your French fries, but you're going to give me some French fries. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll reach back there, I'll grab a pinch, and ah, some nice hot McDonald's. There's nothing like hot McDonald's French fries. Yeah, that belonged to, yes, oh, so good, and, yes, and grab them, and I'll reach back, and I got three kids, so I can do this all day, so I'm just like, boom, to the next one, and then I get to the third one, and I usually get like the little thin with the potato skin still on it, burnt, you know, no salt, like one in my hand, and I'm just like, I'm not going to say which child it is, but I'll be like, girl, <laughs> Don't you know that I, I, I could go back there, like, I'm a baller, baby. I could go back there and buy five French fries. Like, I could go get, I could go get seven French fries right now. The whole, uh, the supersized French fries. I could spend $10 right now. I could dump them on your head, and you have more French fries than you know what to do with them. Someone's like, that sounds like child abuse. It's French fries. But there's this thing inside of me, when, when I get that dried up, and I'm just like, what in the world? Like, what gives? I, I just bought you a whole lunch. All I want is a pinch of french fries. But I think the problem in this analogy is the word tax. Because I say dad tax, and, and I think everybody here is like, oh, it's the God tax. That's what he means. He's talking about the God tax. No, I don't mean, I don't mean the God tax. Like, this is Idaho. We're very resistant towards taxes in general. Amen, somebody. <laughs> you can keep your hands off our money. You know what I mean? It's like, federal government, God, trying to take our money. No, it's not. It's not God tax. It's the same thing. It's really what's going on with my child. Like, those French fries, let's just be honest. They're my French fries. I'm being a really nice dad letting you eat the sustenance of McDonald's. They're mine. All I'm asking for is, I'm just asking, I'm not even asking for french fries. I'm asking for a heart that's willing to be open-handed. That's all I'm asking for. Like, I, I, don't, I don't care how many french fries. I'm just looking for a, for a heart that's turned towards me. I want you to know that you serve a God that has bigger desires for your life. You serve a God that does provide. You live in the wealthiest country in the world. You are the top 1% in the world. You serve a God that has given you that great success. Yeah. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't do it because he wants to give you better cars and give you better houses and give you, you know, more, more Nintendo consoles. No, he does it because he wants you to live with more margin in the borders. 
because he wants you to live a little more open-handed so that when someone else is in need, you can be his mechanism of blessing that other person. The band will come. Here's the deal. God is going to God is going to provide into your life. God, I'm not talking about a prosperity thing. Like, if you give, God will give back to you. This is the best, you know, scheme, financial scheme that's ever existed. Give to God. It gives back. I've tried that before. I had to go get two jobs. It's also not a poverty thing that... God just wants to take everything good out of your life and wants you to make you frown every day. God isn't after your stuff. God wants to bless you. Sometimes blessing looks like the difficulty that you have to walk through. Some of the hardest seasons of my life, when I was in them, I thought, what in the world, God? What are you thinking? But when I look back, I think, God, I would not have the character I have today if I hadn't walked through that season before. I... I'm just saying that all of it is used for his glory. So he, he blesses us with difficulty, but he blesses us with relationships. And sometimes he blesses us by taking relationships out of our life, doesn't he? Somebody's like, yay, man. Bye-bye, ex-husband. You know what I mean? <laughs> but God blesses us. But here's the thing. He blesses, but you choose what the blessing's for. You choose if the blessing is just for your benefit. If you're going to be the person that carves every grape off of that vine, it's all about me. You can do that. Or you can be the kind of person that says, no, anything that hits the ground, like I'm going to live with margin. I'm going to live with loose hands. I'm going to say, God, whatever you want to do with my time, my resources, my ability, God, I'm yours. And I'm saying the kind of person that does that is the kind of person that God can trust with bigger things. It's not a wise God that would continue to bless a capped spout. Instead, he says, how can you be trusted with bigger things you can't be faithful with smaller things. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says it like this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. I'm saying God cares about those that are poor and those that are emotionally struggling. And his body should care. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says it like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which mind? Well, it gives us a preface of what the mind is after or before it. Verse 4 says it like this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know why it is that hospitals around the world begin with the word saint? It's because Christians 
thousands of years have believed that we are to live our lives with margin and allow God to work with the margin. He's not after destitution. He's not after poverty. He's just after people that are willing to say, anything that falls on the ground, I'm just willing to be a little less effective with my life so that you can be efficient. Leaving a legacy in this life, it's, it's really about planting seeds. Like a seed, when you, when you put a seed in the ground, my, my parents just planted these trees. That, like, I love them, but they're not going to be there to see these trees when they're fully grown. Some of these trees take 25 years to mature. But you know why they put those trees in the ground? Because the beauty of a seed is this. When you put it there, it blesses a future generation. Because they know that kids in the future are going to be living, they're going to be able to run in the shade of those trees. 2 Corinthians 9.6 explains this principle to us. It says it like this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And you may have taken finances and invested them into Bitcoin or into one of these other crazy commodities. But the benefit you you reap in that investment is directly correlated to how much you put in. And the same thing with this principle of, of the kingdom of God. How much margin you're able to, you're willing to live with in your life is directly related to how much margin God can bless and use for his kingdom. I'm going to close with these two thoughts. The ultimate test of a man or woman's conscience is their willingness to sacrifice for a future generation whose words of thanks will never be heard. It's easy to to sacrifice when we know we'll be thanked for it. It's another thing to say, I'm giving towards something that's going to bless people that I may never meet. I'm going to give towards something that may bless generations I may never hold. In the winter of 1941 to 1942, the Battle of Leningrad, the Nazi army had created a stockade and had, or a blockade and had, um, had cordoned off the whole city from any food coming in or out. It was cold, it was dark, and there was no resources. And during this part of the battle, there was a starvation in the city of epic proportions. And in the middle of that starvation, there were scientists who were botanists. They were actually guarding vaults of seed, of rice, of potato, of, uh, of wheat and of corn. There were, there were nine botanists in the middle of a starvation who had seed in vaults, and these nine botanists starved along with everybody else. 
And they starved because they knew something about seeds. They knew that if they needed to survive, they could have eaten the seed and they would have survived. But the purpose of a seed is not for us to eat it today for momentary relief. The purpose of a seed is for a future generation to be able to have what they need, the resources they need, the opportunities they needed. And they knew that in the middle of this war, this devastation, and all the famine that it was producing, that the greatest need was not their own life. The greatest need was that they saved vaults full of seeds of wheat and corn and rice and potatoes so that future generations, when the war would end, that people would be able to put those seeds back in the ground and bring sustenance and life back to the people because they understood that if they could just save the seed, they'd preserve a generation and those same seeds were used even in our own country as as we were rebounding from the effects of World War II we as Americans used the exact same seeds to be able to rebuild our fields to be able to replenish our stocks why? because nine scientists said I'm not going to hold on to everything I have in this life I could eat every seed in this vault But I know the greater good is this, that seed being in the ground for someone else's blessing. Church family, I would just say this. Let's be the kind of people that don't just live for today. Don't just live for what we get out of it. Let's be the kind of people that live with margin. Let the things that fall in your field fall in your field. Allow God to do what he wants to do. And don't squeeze every ounce out of life, but allow God to work through it. Would you stand with me all across the room? Why don't you just kind of raise your hands in a, like a receiving posture. Let's just, I'm just going to pray over you. Lord, your word says that you give seed to the sower. So right now, Lord, I pray that you would sow into these lives in areas that they may not expect or may not anticipate, whether it's financial or relational or emotional, whatever it may be. God, that you begin to do a great work in this place right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be people that that live with open hands. People that experience abundance, yes, but for for the sake of what you can do through it. And people that embrace lack because we know that you've already got provision available for us. Lord, would you do your great work in our lives that we would be the kind of people who live with open hands, not pointing fingers, not clinging to what is ours, say, God, use our lives. Use our lives. I wonder if there's anybody in the room today. I know I I wasn't really preaching in this direction, but maybe you just felt like, man, I just want to get right with God. If If that's the kind of God we're talking about, if that's his character, I want to be right with that God. 
Maybe you feel far from him right now and you're, you're hoping that you could, you could close that gap between your failures and his perfection. Listen, it's easy. And he's the one that wants to close the gap. It has nothing to do with you. If there's anybody in the room and you're ready to close that gap, would you just put your hand up so I can see it? Come on, I see those hands. Bold hands, come on, bold hands. It's good. Here's what we're going to do. Jesus has already finished it. It's already done. It's nothing you're going to do. But here's how, you, here's how you respond to what he's already done. We're going to repent. We're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we, know, that we think, do, and say that we know don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we do, his blood cleanses us from all sin pulls us into a right relationship with God. Join me in a prayer like this, something like this. Use your own words. We're going to repent and believe. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them right now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day. And right now, I'm putting all my faith and all my hope in him. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I'll follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's, there's a bunch of people that just made the biggest decision of their life. Come on. That's good. Hey, we, we, we don't want to uh, just have you make that kind of a decision and then walk away and then just feel completely unsupported. I think some people make those kind of decisions and then they don't plug into a body. They don't plug into the body of Christ to really like figure out how this plays out. I want to encourage you. Stick around. If this is where you want to plant roots and be at this home church, come on. Come on with it. We want you. But if you're like, you know what, I, I, I made that commitment, but I'm, I'm still not sure where I need to be. That's fine. Find a good, healthy church and do everything they do for a year. And I promise you, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Come on, church. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.